On this week's Haven't Seen It, we dive deep, deeper than we ever have before. Ezra Miller, the actor who had Hollywood by the balls. Superhero movies, indie dramas, A-list was in his grasp and he threw it all away. Would Tim and Tommy determine if the perks of being a wallflower is where it went all wrong for Ezra? No, no they don't. They have no psychoanalysis expertise whatsoever. All this coming up on Haven't Seen It. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Follow us on social media at Seen It Pod. Haven't Seen It with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today, this is both of us. Actually surprising, because I'm watching this movie and I'm just like, oh, this is Tommy porn. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, oh, why did Tommy pick this? Like, oh, of course, he loves this trash. And I was just like, nope, I haven't seen it before either, Tim. (laughs) It's not trash. All right. It's not trash. I could I could see why a lot of people like it. Yeah, I think there's being diplomatic, <laughs> decent amount of flaws in it, but we're mm. we're getting ahead of ourselves. Tommy, how's it going? I understand you went to the Connecticut Horror Convention. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that is correct. Uh, in Naugatuck this year, uh, they had some good guests this year, like Mike Flanagan, who directed uh, Doctor Sleep, and you know your typical Keith David. And your typical horror, like the guy who played Jason in one of the Jason movies. So it was a cool little place. I got a bunch of cool little posters uh, to add to my horror little collection. And it's always a good time up there. Was young Jason there? Young Jason was there. So we had he's at all he's at all of them. Yeah, the little baby Jason was out there. So uh, he enthusiastically was there. Uh, I didn't really meet any celebrities because, you know, lines would get kind of like long with that. And I was like, ah, I only had so much time. (laughs) Did you do any networking? Did you grow the podcast? I bought some nice uh, magnets for our, uh, my fridge, our screen base. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> clearly, clearly stuck to an objective there. I appreciate it. That's on me for not making you a t-shirt. That's on me. It's my fault. I should have gotten us t-shirts. Just walk in, walk in the halls. Yeah. <laughs> just some stickers with a QR code. Just slap them everywhere. Yeah. yeah get, get all that promo out. <laughs> get all the promo out. Yeah. I'm glad it was a good time. I'm glad you had a fun time. What's the best poster you got? Uh, I got a poster of uh, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, so, you know, the classic George Romero film, also filmed in Pittsburgh, uh, just like this movie. And the Tom Savini connection, which we'll get into. <laughs> the Tom Savini connection. Yeah. Well, let's dive into that Tom Savini connection. This is the perks of being a wallflower. So what are you going to do when you get out of this place? I really want to be a writer, but I don't know what I'd write about. You could write about us. Aggressive! Passive! Aggressive! Why do I and everyone I love pick people who treat us like we're nothing? We accept the love we think we deserve. The Perks of Being a Wallflower. In Select City, September 28th. Everywhere October 5th. This is The Perks of Being a Wallflower, a movie set in 1991 that somehow feels dated to 2012. 
the hell coming... are you... <laughs> you get you, you finish it you finish it <laughs> this is the perks of being a wallflower a movie set in 1991 that somehow feels dated to 2012 this coming-of-age indie drama inspired hipsters everywhere to purchase typewriters and wear cardigans charlie a misfit finds a crew of misfits in high school and becomes friends with them he develops a crush on emma watson hey buddy Take a number. So did every other millennial that watched Harry Potter as a kid. Nicholas Abron <laughs> also appears. And yes, he does have a rat tail. So Tommy, this is it's kind of weird that we both missed this movie because we were both like 18, 19 when this movie came out. Yeah, we were literally the demographic of teens that could have seen this movie. Um, I think that, like you said earlier, the fact that this movie takes place in the 90s, but the trailer uses like that Imagine Dragon songs. I laughed out loud literally um, when I heard, I heard that trailer just pop up. Or it's just like, of course, they use like the most generic, like early 2010 song, like to promote this film. And nothing about this movie except for the music, like it signifies that this would be early 90s, which I probably would have appreciated more if I knew that. <laughs> it's weird because this movie deals with a lot of like heavy subject matter, maybe even mm-hmm. overloaded to a bit where it feels like. The three main characters, um, Patrick, who's played by Ezra Miller, Mm. Sam, played by Emma Watson, and Charlie, who is played by Logan Lerman. It feels like they all have their own things going on, but for me, it it doesn't fully come together, if that makes sense. Like, Mm. it, it hits all the notes. And I could see why somebody would really enjoy this movie, but I think they it doesn't do the best job of explaining all of Patrick's drama and it's and it's kind of related to make this build up towards the end of the movie where he has a mental breakdown about like his relationship with his aunt and they uh- they, I, I felt like they didn't like clearly state what was going on until like the last ten minutes of the movie, and I, it felt like there was some like structural issues in the script that could have connected it better, and also just like all the references that they made, it, it really felt very Tumblr esque, circa twenty twelve. <laughs> this was uh, basically like the Tumblr movie, I gotta imagine. Um, so, you know, it, uh, what I didn't like about this movie, um, was. It just felt like um, the book, like Stephen Chbosky, who wrote the book also in the um, late 90s. Uh, it just felt like he kind of like threw a dartboard, like what are like hot button issues I can go over. And they didn't really, a lot, some of them felt forced, some of them felt fine with, you know, Ezra Miller and like some of Logan Lerman stuff. But it was just like every character like had something like even like the side character was like, just like, OK, this is happening to you. This is happening to you. This serious thing is happening to you. And so it kind of felt like almost like a soap opera, like very melodramatic in that way, where it was just didn't really feel like a very natural, it felt like very heightened dramatic. Yeah. And it was just, I don't know, it didn't work for me in that sense. Yeah. Like Charlie's character, like it's all about his freshman year in high school. We discover in like the first 25 to 30 minutes that his best friend killed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the summer before we hear all these things about, him having visions and clearly he experienced some sort of mental breakdown you know before the movie takes place mm-hmm. and then it and he spends a lot of time focusing on the relationship with his aunt who is played by 
the lady who is in Melanie Linsky. Melanie Linsky, yeah. Yeah. You know, the beginning of the movie talks about like I loved my aunt. I could talk to her about anything. And mm-hmm. then uh, in the last 10 minutes it's slightly revealed but not fully explained or discourse that his aunt molested him as a child mm-hmm. and then she died and he feels like it's his fault the script was kind of confusing in that sense because when that happened with like the aunt and like the re- revelation that he had like the breakdown there's a part of me that was thinking for a moment is like is this movie going to pull like the charlie just imagine like emma watson and uh, ezra miller card here <laughs> oh i would have i would have ha- hated this movie so much if it was like charlie you've been in an institution for the past yeah. Are you ready to join the real world? No, S- Sam and Sam and Patrick are here. They're they're gonna come back and visit me from college. They they swore. They're showing me a David Bowie song that I probably should have known beforehand. <laughs> and they're showing me the Smiths. <laughs> how did they how did they not know Heroes by David Bowie? Like I looked it up. It didn't hit the Billboard top one hundred in the United States, but David Bowie is a very, very big artist. How how? Yeah, uh, it, it, not not even the fact that he's just a big artist. It, it, they listen to music just like him, like the Smiths and like Sonic Youth. And um, you're telling me, I, I guess that we're taking that more of a modern lens because, like, for us, like you couldn't imagine that. But I guess you know the director himself, Steve Jabaski, admitted, like, you know, it was kind of like, all right, I, I, I'll take that criticism, like whatever. But that's how his own life went. Um, he said that, like, in the teenager in the early '90s, he only really knew Bowie as like the Let's Dance guy, you know, the very poppy like '80s guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he's like telling an interviewer, like you and John Malkovich, who produced the movie, um, and Jim Powers could all gang up on me and say, We don't believe it. I'll put my head on a hand, right hand on the Bible, and say, In the early 90s, Bowie was the less dance to me. He was that guy, the whole 70s Bowie. If he has more in a grunge, I came late to him. Listen, if you say to me, The kids not knowing heroes is not realistic, I will cop to it. Anyone who has a bone to pick, I can't argue, but I swear to God, it was real. So you, it feels like 30 years ago, you could imagine like, you know, maybe they missed out on that period of Bowie. I'm not saying it's not even not realistic. I'm just saying like David Bowie kind of always sounds the same when he sings. So even if they didn't know what specific song it was, determining who the artist is, isn't out of this like realm of possibilities. And I get it. It well, was more, yeah, it was more for the the ending when he gets his turn in the tunnel in the car and and his which uh, his woo moment which i was like this movie better end when they started wooing at the end when they were like woo yeah. it's like oh this movie Please. went so long without having this like very cliche moment yeah and then <laughs> and then it and then it had that moment the the cynic in me was like wondering like if if the movie was going to end with like him finally wooing and then just like fucking getting clipped on the truck or something like that just falling off oh. <laughs> You know, <laughs> like this the ultra dark ending. you know we're we're making a movie that would make us laugh and be like i kind of like that i like that they but like th- this movie was like very well it's good that by... the movie didn't do this <laughs> oh it's well for everybody else for for yeah. me personally i would have gotten a nice chuckle out of it but yeah um the 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 bowie song though heroes i mean like once again we uh talked about jojo rabbit uh earlier on the film versus film podcast and that movie also ended with Heroes. And I just think, is that like one of the best songs to end a movie with now? <laughs> it has to be up there. Um, Well, it's almost overused, right? I mean, two pretty prominent releases, mm-hmm. both using it. It's like, uh, don't, don't just leave that song alone for 20 years movies. We don't, you don't need to play it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of Bowie out there. <laughs> so, listen, I, we're 
definitely being critical of it but it's 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 weird it feels like it feels like it's lacking a bit of levity i think i would have enjoyed a little more something a little some more comedic moments i think might have benefited this movie it's very very it's very very serious and all these characters have very serious things happen to them uh the one one part i want to point out like that fellow was a decent source of levity was his uh, relationship with uh, my whitman um her from the rest of development <laughs> her who her and who what who but yeah the whole entire time that he was dating her she was like talking his ear off on the phone and like his dad's like come on like i want to use the goddamn phone at one point <laughs> that was, like, you that gotta was... end this i gotta use the phone yeah and, like that's how you know the movie was in the 90s that was the other cue i guess <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't do a great job of setting up the the time period, especially like looking back at this movie 10 years later. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm staring at all the things that were like retro cool 10 years ago. Like this is basically was just like I had no idea until I watched this movie. And even like I was 20 minutes or 30 minutes into the movie and you texted me being like, it's where this movie takes place in 91. I was like, what? I was, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I just figured there's hipsters just listening to Sonic Youth because, like, that was a thing that was going on in 2011 for sure. <laughs> Tommy personified. You <laughs> definitely had a Sonic Youth T-shirt. I only actually started listening to him like a year ago. <laughs> really? That just feels like you would have picked that up on Guitar Hero and then would have bought like four <laughs> CDs or something like that. There's a bunch of other artists that ended up like that, like um, Joan Jett back in the day. I mean, I'm wearing the goddamn shirt as <laughs> a recording. I don't know, I guess this missed out on that, but regardless, it just didn't feel very early 90s to me. I mean, no real signifiers. I mean, even I guess technology, maybe, but they didn't really focus on like TVs or ever, or, you know. Well, I guess they had like the bot, the old CRTE TVs, and they had the, you know, like he was, they were making mixtapes and they were all on cassettes. Like, I, I guess the indications were there that. <laughs> but mixtapes mix feel like almost like a like a bullshit hipster thing that would happen, too. That's the <laughs> thing. It just feels like a bullshit hipster movie, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And my real question is chicken or the egg scenario, which came first? Was all this stuff like happening and this just somehow coincided <laughs> in the middle? Or did this <laughs> launch the hipster revolution? I, I think I think it's a little bit of both. I think it just it came at the perfect time where like, you know, I this is a question I wonder if we saw this movie 10 years ago when we were 18, we would be like, oh, this movie's awesome. Or oh, we would still... have been like, it's so deep and, and artful and yeah. deals with mental health. And so powerful. And it, and it does. And I don't want to <laughs> yeah. like take away from the seriousness of the movie. I'll say that the performances here are really um I think the best part of this, I think um, it, ca- actors... it carries the movie. All the three main ones, um, Logan Lerman, Emma Watson, Ezra Miller, they're both absolutely fantastic. Uh, if, if this had a mediocre cast, oh, oh my God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you you couldn't fucking imagine. I would have sh- so. shut it off. I would have been like, Tommy, we're pivoting to Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's just always our backup because we saw that recently. Just like, I, we're doing Jaws, we're doing Jaws. <laughs> Oh, fun. I was checking my AMC app. They're actually still showing Jaws and IMAX at, at the AMC. Okay. Yeah. So, so you can still go see Jaws and IMAX if you if you have two eyes and a heart. And assuming you're listening to this, you know, now, not like two or three years from now. <laughs> well, I mean, even if you are, you can probably two or three yeah. years from now, you could probably dictate what movie you want to watch at a theater just so they'll get you in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so, my um, prediction. I w- 
most likely. Um, so the director, Stephen Chbosky, um, he um, also directed, um, what's it called? Dear Evan Hansen, which has been getting similar criticisms uh, as we're saying about this movie, which is just like melodramatic. Oh, just, I don't know, feels a little bit like exploity. And with that, he's very much like very melodramatic teen, like almost soap opera kind of stuff. He wrote the novel uh, right after he was having a bad breakup and he wanted to ask the question, why do good people let themselves get treated so badly? Uh, and he wrote this in the summer of 96 when he was in college, completed in 10 weeks and finished two more drafts afterwards. Uh, he based Charlie off himself, you know, as one does. <laughs> and then Sam and uh, pa- was like based on girls who confided in him. Patrick was based on all the kids I knew who were gay and finding their own way to their own identity. And then he started working on the screenplay, which took him a year. He wouldn't sell the rights to the film unless the studio also let him adapt and direct the film. So there's a version out there that John Hughes almost directed this, apparently, according to IMDb. Oh, that would have been uh, some... Well, I guess it's late 90s Hughes, but that's still such a better movie if John Hughes directed it. Well, yeah, apparently like the version of it was... Uh, he was going to write and direct it, and it was going to be a dark comedy uh, with Shia LaBeouf set to play Charlie. Kirsten okay. Dunst put the, put the say, uh, slay to play Slam. Okay. And, uh, Sam, and then Patrick Fugit would have been Patrick. Okay, I don't know who Patrick Fugit is, but that's okay. Uh, the kid from Almost Famous. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, I, I'm I'm here for that version. I think that would have been really good, but uh, Chbosky like really stuck to his guns. I mean, I have to kind of give some respect. To oh him, yeah, but... you got to tip you got to tip your cap to that. If you're just like, I wrote a novel, I have no directing experience. I can adapt the screenplay, but you're not making this. If you really want to make this, I'm directing the movie, and you don't get exactly. To say. He said, like, there are many offers, uh, but I couldn't let it go. I didn't know how to sell something this personal, and especially what the book meant to the fans. I couldn't let it go to anyone else. I owed the fans a movie that was worthy of their love for the book. So, yeah, you got to respect it. I mean, to be honest, like, this adaptation, I don't think was, like, a train wreck, but it could have used someone that, like, that wasn't maybe a slave to the source material. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, like how we were kind of discussing with the Stephen King stuff where he would end up slaving over his source material to make it as true as possible. It's like, there's a reason these things don't like, I think, I don't know the structure of the novel, but I imagine you probably get primarily Charlie's perspective, some Sam perspective, some Patrick perspective. Like I have to just kind of, I'm just making an assumption here, but even Mm -hmm. if it's just told straight from Charlie's perspective, you get so much more insight into his mind that you that they do a lot of like he writes a pen pal letter to nobody just mm. because they need him to they need him to be able to, to talk and narrate share, or whatever narrate yeah because yeah, like a narrator structure wouldn't work for this kind of movie um that that you need a little you need something a little more light or like pay a little more fast pace and like big right like i feel like narration works really well when you're covering a long span of time not necessarily a, a year yeah I, I i think that i would have liked to have this movie have more like of a hangout like get to more know the characters more in a hangout sense i mean there's some brief moments here and there like the car tunnel scene um but overall i didn't feel like there's a ton of like you know banter between the actors i i would actually say one of the best moments in the movie is when patrick kind of welcomes welcomes uh, Charlie into the group uh, he's he had an edible he tells Sam that his best friend killed himself and it's just nice because for somebody that was struggling so much this is the first time that he feels welcome in his early high school career everyone 
Raise your glasses to Charlie. What did I do? You didn't do anything. We just want to toast our new friend. You see things, and you understand. You're a wallflower. What is it? What's wrong? I didn't think anyone noticed me. <laughs> well, we didn't think there was anyone cool left to meet. So, come on, everyone. To Charlie. To Charlie. It's a nice moment, and for Ezra Miller's Ezra Miller's character, um, Patrick, it, he gets to be a little like he's very over the top i think it's a really great performance from ezra miller and like you could see why he ended up landing the flash this apparently was what got him the role so uh we got got them the role uh so i think ezra miller is just very charismatic and it just like kind of almost just like takes over the screen at some point and it's just a very charismatic role in general just you know he bounces off all the other characters uh and they're like the life of the party so and it's nice to see him like when he's, you know, always bouncing around to see him be nice and kind of subdued. Um, should we talk about the uh, 10 hundred pound gorilla in the room, which is Ezra <laughs> Miller? I guess now is as good a time as, as any. So Ezra Miller, uh, they have gotten to, I mean, if you've been paying attention to anything, uh, let me have uh, fucking crimes right here. I mean, like what, like uh, rest in Hawaii uh they like threw a chair at someone at one point like child endangerment or something like that and like out of a ranch where like they're like doing drugs and like guns and shit like that it's kind of insane to see and the fact that the flash movie is still going on as planned <laughs> well all right so i'm looking at his issues of controversies so apparently he got uh, during the filming of this movie in pittsburgh he got pulled over for having 20 grams of pot it was just a disorderly conduct that's fine. And then for yeah. a decade, there's there's nothing. Then apparently there was a video that leaked in April of 2020 of Ezra Miller strangling a woman, throwing her to the ground. He was then arrested in Hawaii in March of this year, 2022, for physical alter altercation with patrons and hurling obscenities at clients at a karaoke bar. Miller claimed they became arranged after being accosted by a Nazi. Oh, Jesus. He was then issued a, a, a order of protection uh, against him, against 18-year-old activist Dakota Iron Eyes. It's, it's a whole litany. They said because of Miller's use of violence, intimidation, threat of violence, fear, paranoia, delusions, and drugs... There's mm. harassment allegations that against a 12 year old, um, he was at something about something <laughs> about a farm in Vermont. He then also had a burglary charge in, in Vermont. And in on August 15th, that Miller apologizes for all his behavior. He has checked in to a mental health clinic and is working on himself. Now we don't know the full story and we're not a, gossip rag so whatever it is i hope ezra bounces back i hope for the best because imagine being famous for a while can definitely take its toll it, it's just it's just very interesting because he was it's, slated to have the flash movie come out 
and have his own you know he'd been doing that tv show on the cw for however many years no that wasn't him that wasn't him uh, oh, that, that was that wasn't them uh that's grant gustin so it's a different actor on the flash oh. tv show oh so, so they just complete they just they're like completely being like oh that, that was that thing for you guys uh but yeah we're gonna use a we're gonna use a big boy good for ezra for not having to do a cw tv show yeah. for like a decade. it's like that that's a tv show this is movie the movie we have ezra miller we don't have grant gustin fuck that <laughs> and you know that the people at warner brothers were are like because it, 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 it felt like for a period it was just like every week a new report was coming out against him you know they were freaking out being like all right we already put 150 million dollars into this movie are we really gonna have to scrap this movie because this this guy it's like we did we did to batgirl we'll do it to another fucking dc movie but we watch out ezra it's actually it actually ties in pretty well to to this movie because this movie does deal with mental health. I I think it's a little more traumatized than it should be in a in a health sense. I I think it 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 feels glamorized, right? Like all these kids that are under eighteen have had molestation, tragic death, divorce, yeah, you know, trying to come out of the closet, having a hidden relationship, suicide. Yeah, yeah it it feels like a lot for a movie that's a runtime of an hour and 43 minutes it it doesn't feel like some movies like kids or something like that where it's just more about that it, it i feel like it kind of in some ways just glances over with the characters it wants to be like a hangout movie and that too and the vibes i don't know it doesn't mix as well yeah because like you know you get those scenes of them at the party and stuff it was it, you know if it, if it focused strictly on the drama and like the the issues that these three characters were going through and like their bonds between their struggles. I think it would work better in that if it just had them lightly mention it. Like, I think they, the friend suicide was the best mentioned one. Cause it's just mentioned in a Passover. They do a toast to them and they kind of just move on from it. That's the other thing yeah. too. They just kind of move on from a lot of the stuff. Like they mention it moving on. Some sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's just like you could let that breathe a little bit and like you know let, let explore like the characters a little more in that sense. Like one of the best scenes was Patrick, kind of after he was dating the high the quarterback of the high school football team. His dad discovered mm -hmm. them together and he beat the the hell out of him. And he has like a really deep emotional thing where he's kind of confessing to Patrick all of his emotions to Charlie to Charlie. And then Charlie's just like, yeah, that happened for about a week, and then. We're moving on. It didn't hit for me. I maybe yeah. I'm just older and cynical and it's just not gonna hit me at like it would if I was 18, 19. I, I really wonder about that. I feel like this might be the case that we just like missed the movie. Because like Roger Ebert in his review said something along the lines of like, oh uh, you know, the the teenage version of myself that's still out there somewhere would have loved this movie. And I, I feel like that too, because maybe I would have been caught up in the music. Like Adventureland's kind of a similar movie in some senses to this. And that movie I love and adore. Yeah, I feel like that nails the hangout more. Like that handles the blend of it. I haven't seen that in years, but that's <laughs> that handles the blend of hangout movie and drama. I actually remember not caring for Adventureland all that once much, but I think I was hoping for super bad and uh, well that's what the trailers like promised that's a movie that like slowly like built on built on me first time i watched it i was like eh and i watched that second time that weekend i remember and i was like okay actually i like this a lot more um and, and it introduced me to my favorite band of all time the replacement so that's why it has a special place in my heart but this movie could have hit like that for me too i feel like maybe if i saw that uh, i was 18 but 
I don't know. Maybe it's just looking back. There's just like <laughs> you look at teen characters and you're like, oh, you don't know anything about the world teens. <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit. Um, but I mean, they even state it to, to Charlie. They're like, you know, when him and Sam reconnect for the first time after she goes away to college, mm-hmm. you know, she tells him like, it gets so much better. There's a whole world out there of people, all these different things. And I, I think that's sweet and kind of like, I feel like this movie is a lot of, themes and doesn't really have like a clear concise message Mm. about them it's just events that feel thematic but don't carry a weight other than be yourself and wear a suit and be a writer i feel like they got more refined screenplay i feel like uh would have been better here because it definitely felt like maybe and this is probably the criticism of the novel itself you know that we're talking about that if they just focus more on just like a couple of the characters and just like just refine it just to them and not go through like this character uh, killed themselves. This character's sister, you know, is getting hit by people. And these are topics, but it just felt like they were either glanced over very quickly and just not really cared about where they just should have picked like one or two topics to focus on more. Well, Tommy, are you so you mentioned that um, Nicholas Braun, uh, whatever the mullet, he slaps mm-hmm. um he slaps uh nicholas uh he slaps nick's sister and he gets mm-hmm. very defensive about it being like you need to break up with him like he can't treat you like that i guess there's little signs that he you know like stuff like that bothers him when sam tells him that she had been uh you know touched you know taken advantage of by older men when she was younger mm-hmm. which it's it's like it's it's because it's weird because it's passing it along because it's like if 20 year old guys are taking advantage of 14 year old girls like that's not cool and the movie just kind of like links its eye at it it very quickly glanced over so and it's just in that sense where it's just like okay like and maybe that's a modern lens like in 1991 and that that it from all the stories that are coming out now that kind of just it is what it is right like what are you going to do take these people to court you're not you're you're not going to you're just putting a target on yourself if you report anything like that. But mm. I just, yeah, maybe it's just like the modern lens, like this just wasn't going to survive post 2017 as like the way to handle, like the, the way it treats mental health wasn't going to resonate with a modern audience the way it did 10 years ago, which feels weird saying that's not a modern audience. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that like you know it already there's parts of this movie that feel dated, and it's just like Shh, this is when we were young. <laughs> oh, also, I know we didn't touch upon it as a on on a cliche, but um, Paul Rudd is the teacher. He's in this movie. <laughs> he's in this movie, and you know his favorite student is is Nicholas, and he wants these extra assignments, and he keeps handing him these books, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Great Gatsby. <laughs> And then he's like, on the this road. is my, <laughs> on the road. And then he's like, this is my personal favorite. It meant the m- most to me. It's my personal copy. And it's The Catcher in the Rye. And it's like, oh my God, this is it's, so. It's, it was so funny is that like, uh, maybe this is, you know, every school district is different, but like every single book we just listed right there, I'm pretty sure like I've read an English class in high school. So it's just like. You, you read in, you read or you read the Spark Notes of Tommy. Very big distinction. Uh, well, I was in one of those English classes where uh, we read the books in class. <laughs> okay, just gotta let that. You just gotta let that sit there. So, 
Sometimes you just got to let it breathe, Tommy. <laughs> just let it breathe a little bit. But uh, so anyways, Paul Rudd, I mean, like, he's Paul Rudd. He's nice. He's charismatic. But you know, um, he's only movie... in one classroom. Like, they were just like, yeah, Paul, we know you're a busy guy. We'll film your scenes in a day. You're only going to yeah. be in this classroom. You're not going to go anywhere else. <laughs> That's it. But the movie, like, at the end has that moment where, like, he uh, has that emotional moment to Paul Rudd where he's just like, you know, you're the greatest teacher I ever had. And it's just like. What did Paul Rudd do? I mean, Paul Rudd gave him some books, I guess, but like they didn't really build up like them having more of a mentor mentee relationship. I feel like it just there was a lot of room floor right there, right there, and they just kind of felt almost tacked on. The, oh, well, like, gives, the screenplay didn't show it. He, they give him the theme of the movie. We accept the love we think he deserves. That's where he gets the line from. And that's yeah, I guess that's enough. So. But uh, I want to shout the other teacher. Uh, you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the episode. Tom Savini's in this movie. Uh, the special effects makeup mastro horror extraordinaire. I literally first thing when I saw this movie I was like, "The fuck is Savini doing in here?" <laughs> and he's just like the grumpy Vietnam vet, yeah, shop teacher. Oh, it's great. And Patrick <laughs> Patrick Sprank was painting all of his tools pink. Yeah, <laughs> it was just nice to see Savini in there. He doesn't do anything, but it was just it was just nice. It was, to, to it was a good little. There. Good little touch. I was wondering like why he was in this movie because you know it's not horror at all. But um apparently this movie is filmed in Pittsburgh and Savini and George Romero are Pittsburgh le- legends, so it was kind of a nod to that, I gotta imagine. I mean, this this does have a pretty strong cast. I mean, Logan Lerman, Emma Watson, Ezra Miller, May Whitman, Paul Rudd, Nina Dobrev, who's model, mm. I believe, Johnny Simmons. Kate Walsh, Dylan McDermott, Melanie Linsky, Joan Cusack, Nicholas Braun, like I know, and Tom Savini, like I know Nicholas Braun wasn't, you know, is relatively unknown, but now that he's in succession, he's one of the biggest stars in uh, in TV right now. Yeah, uh, it's just crazy. They got all the cast. It's like, that's always a good thing about like going back to these teen movies, like, like five, ten years later and be like, oh, my God, look at the cast. This was stacked. <laughs> but even just like the adults I li- listed off for like kind of bit secondary third part. You know what I mean? Like third string mm-hmm. parts like they just kind of pull like Paul Rudd could have kind of been anybody. Like, I don't think he does anything to elevate the character. He just plays Paul Rudd as handsome yeah. English teacher. Yeah, <laughs> that's the extent of it. Joan Cusack shows up at the end and like not really comedic, but you know, until McDermott's just stern dad or whatever. <laughs> I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. And we're the hosts of the Madam's Podcast, where it's all about movies, minus the mansplaining. Every week we discuss a film that fits into a quirky theme for the month. And there's plenty of bonus content on our Patreon feed, too. So if you're looking for commentary that'll make you laugh and think, you found your new favorite show. New episodes of The Madams drop on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at TheMadamsPod, or on our website, TheMadamsPod.com. star i'm a star i am a big bright shining star all right so tommy who is the star of this movie who had who had the best performance because i 
the movie's kind of carried on Charlie's shoulders, and I think he does a good job of carrying that weight, Logan Lerman. I think Ezra Miller gives the best performance, but if, if Charlie doesn't come through in terms of like the acting chops, like I don't think the movie works. Yeah, I think I think that like Charlie is definitely like the lead, obviously the lead and everything like that. But I think that like Ezra Miller is probably my favorite parts of this movie. Um, his just performance is just very captivating. Very, uh, you can understand why like the characters all like him and like you know, and he's very just brings you into the world immediately charismatic as hell. Uh, so I'm gonna go with Ezra Miller. They were great in this movie. So yeah, it's it's weird. I mean Emma Watson. We haven't really touched on her. Um, she's the she has a crush on, or he has a Charlie has a crush on Sam Emma Watson, mm-hmm. and Emma Watson definitely kind of feels that way. But she's dating some college guy who was obviously cheating on her the entire time while he was at college. Um, but they do have a very nice emotional climax um when they finally get together i um i I just didn't think that you wanted that well what did you want i just want you to be happy don't you get it charlie i can't feel that it's really sweet and everything but you can't just sit there and put everybody's lives ahead of yours and think that counts as love I don't want to be somebody's crush. I want people to like the real me. I know who you are, Sam. I, I know I'm quiet. And, and I know I should speak more. But if you knew the things that, uh, that were in my head most of the time, you'd know what it really meant, how, how much we're alike, and, and how we've been through the same things. And, and you're not small, you're beautiful. So it goes for it, and uh, they, they hook up. How, how do you think of Emma Watson's uh, American accent right there? <laughs> I, the American accent is so broad. It's not mm. a Pittsburgh accent. Yeah. I'll That's tell sure. you that. I'll tell you that much. Uh, there's no yinza in that. Yeah, uh, but it's fine. It gets the job done. <laughs> All the English actors can find a way to do a good American accent. It's just an amalgamation of like all the European accents, kind of just compressed into this like neutral tone. Yeah, it's what it is. It's fine. Yeah, but um, I, I think that like Emma Watson, she was fine in this role. I mean, like I, I felt like a lot of the character in, in the script gave a little bit of a manic pixie dream girl kind of thing to me to, to an extent right there. You know, As I I said, just... this is Tumblr porn. It, it was just like, let's take what's on here and shove it. But this book was written in the nineties. So <laughs> yeah, which came first. So, I mean, this follows like a trend of other movies like uh, this, you know, we wouldn't have had fall of our stars. Um, me, Earl and the dying girl, like movies like that. And, I don't know. After watching this, it's like I don't think I need to revisit this subgenre. No, no. I, this is a time capsule in a time capsule, and it might be best just leaving it in that time capsule. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. Tommy, with the perks of being a wallflower, work as a Muppet adaptation. 
Oh God, yeah, no, no. <laughs> I, I, it's just like this movie's just like a little too dramatic, and I don't want to see like Piggy talking about how like her uh, dad's boss like kissed her when she when she was eleven or something. You know, <laughs> it wouldn't work. Oh, Kermy, <laughs> my uh, my dad's boss would oh, kiss me when I was eleven. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I can't really do a great Miss Piggy, but uh, oh, Gary, that's that's more Mickey. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm not a trained voice actor. Yeah, no, this this wouldn't work. Maybe the raw, Rocky Horror Picture Show stuff would work. Yeah, I mean that that'd be extent to it. So, uh, I do want to touch real, real quick on Ezra Miller one more time. Um, there's a report recently that he has um. Like an altar at his, uh, they have an altar at their property, uh, which is decorated with uh, weed, sage, bullets, and flash figurines. A lot of times they make uh, the women put their cell phones on the altar when they come in and other offerings. And um, Susan Sarandon, who's in Rocky Horror Picture Show, apparently didn't invite uh, Ezra Miller to a dinner party. And Ezra Miller demanded that uh, she go to uh, their altar and like <laughs> you know, pay respects. <laughs> what is the source of this material, Tommy? This is from Variety, uh, Vanity Fair, Vanity Fair. So this is okay. I mean, listen, it's it's fitting the behavior pattern. Uh, I'm yeah. not gonna it, listen, Ezra. You're a great actor. Be better get, than Ezra. Get, get no, get well soon. <laughs> yeah, get get well soon. That that's that's my message for for him. All right, Tommy. Review time. You know, I felt like we just shot on this movie for the um, past hour. Uh, it was fine. I mean, you know, it was okay. The performances were good and like serviceable. Uh, I really like the soundtrack right here. I just felt like the script just didn't work for me. And it was my main issues with this movie. It just felt like this movie uh, wanted to touch on so many hot button teen issues. And they didn't give enough time to spotlight um, specific ones or specific character moments. So... I'm going to go with two out of five, mostly because the soundtrack and performances I thought were good. But otherwise, I don't think I'm going to really revisit this movie. And it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this this movie's fine. You'll know if you you like indie emotional stuff, it feels a little cliche. You're going to like it. The, The screenplay feels like it's not giving us enough. Um, It feels thematically kind of all over the place and trying to cover so much ground that it doesn't let what's happening on the screen like actually hit and resonate with you it only really works at the end when charlie's in the hospital that's like the only emotional moment that i was like oh damn that's actually pretty powerful i'm gonna give this a two out of five as well it's not it's not bad it just it didn't hit for me and maybe it's just Mm. i i've outgrown this kind of movie and i probably would have given it a five out of five when i four out of five when i was 1819 but seeing this movie <laughs> for the first time like uh man it just it felt like an amalgamation of everything that was popular in the late 80s becoming re popular again in 2011 and then throwing a bunch of like 2011 issues on top of it yeah so that's kind of where i fall on it it doesn't really do anything visually that that like stands out in like a filmmaking way. The only thing that visually that I thought worked for me was uh, the scene where like he's kissing uh, Mae Whitman and then it t- just turns to Emma Watson's face and just yeah. as a little visual signifier. I thought that was a little color, but other than that, yeah, there's no really like, interesting cin- cinematography. 
Yeah, it's shot kind of like flat and like a little dark. Mm -hmm. It just it it didn't do anything special, and it's a critical darling. And I kind of get it; it kind of hits all the notes that people would be looking for. I just think it lacked the depth to be a true classic. Same, yeah. All right, so Tommy, any final thoughts? All right, so thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, you can follow us on social media. Uh, at scenic pod that's on uh, twitter instagram and tiktok um, and also check out me and i the boys i guess on their pod i covered the movie pray of them it was a fun time and next week we're going to be covering here on haven't seen it um field of dreams a movie i never saw before last month so <laughs> i am so excited for field of dreams you have no idea <laughs> is it just gonna be like a tearjerker of an episode where i'm just gonna break down or something <laughs> We can make it that way if you really. Oh want. yeah, yeah, real, real intimate episode. So, but uh, you know, thank you guys. Leave us five star reviews. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your uh, podcast, really helps out the pod. And you know, thank you guys for listening. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week with Field of Dreams.